Okay, just perfect, Nia. I'm just curious about, just in general, what did you think of 2020? Um, 2020 sucked. Are you serious? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so... That's, that's all the words I have for it. It's one. It's, uh, okay, I'm going to do and I always, something. I always say, that's not a good word. I should think of a better word. But that is literally the best word I have. Listeners, we are back. Welcome to 2021. Hey, y'all. Habari Ghani. Happy Kwanzaa. We're going to kick off this year talking about some topics and societal events that stuck out to us in 2020. Ooh, and 2020 was quite a year. Why don't let's 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 just get into it, Nia. What what stood out to you about 2020? Start us off. Ooh, I mean, I think obviously the elephant in the room for everyone's 2020 was probably COVID 19. I mean, it like started right in January. As soon as we became 2020, we had our first case of COVID 19. In the U.S., we had a, a guy who traveled to Wuhan um, in Washington State and had like 16 close contacts before he um, was put in isolation. And so in January, right kicking us off, we had COVID-19 here in the U.S. And then in March, the global pandemic was declared by the WHO. And so after that, you know, we got the lockdown, stay-at-home orders, Michiganders who occupied the state capital that didn't want to stay home, all of those things, I think, you know, really um, kind of epitomized 2020 for me. And then when Trump got COVID-19 in October, (laughs) I was like, okay, this is going to be it. Like, people are going to take it seriously. And um, all of that didn't really happen that way. Um, But at least we're ending the year with a COVID vaccine. I wanted to know, you know, for you, did you feel like COVID-19 impacted your life for those that you love? COVID? COVID-19? Who is she? I don't know her. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what is COVID? Um, yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to take a moment to be selfish and say this was the year I turned 30. And when I tell you I had plans and trips and I was going <laughs> to do it all. And then Miss COVID came. And introduced me to Miss Quarantina. Um, <laughs> yes, um, definitely. I think I felt the impacts like socially and stuff, and then especially with work. Um, you know, because I in the job and the profession, one of the things that we're trying to get into is like um, distance counseling and therapy, and a lot of programs and people have like this theoretical basis or philosophy that the best way counseling is done as well as taught is face-to-face. So whether we want it to grow or not, we're kind of forced to um, in that way with work and some other stuff. But yeah, I definitely felt COVID and the impacts of it and quarantine and, you know, feeling isolated at times and all that stuff was, was, I'm sure you felt COVID as well being in the medical field. Yeah, I mean, we've had just in the U.S. 19 million cases of COVID and over 330,000 deaths. I mean, that is huge. And obviously, worldwide, it's even bigger. Like, 
almost 81 million cases and 1.76 million deaths. I mean, it's been crazy. And as we know, folks of color, so uh, American Indians, Alaskan Natives, Black and Latinx individuals, were more likely to not only get COVID, but be hospitalized by COVID and die than uh, non-Hispanic whites. And you know, Nev, we talked in our podcast about our own grief last time, but I think we're sharing a lot of grief with thousands of people around the country, especially black and brown folks. I think at least in medicine, the disparities, um, people have really said COVID has shined, has been able to shine a light on those disparities even more in such a chilling way. I don't know in other fields if people have seen it that way, but we certainly have been able to say COVID-19 has exacerbated existing um, disparities in health, especially for folks of color. It's been a sad year for us, y'all. For sure. So I know that that really rocked all of our worlds and those around the country and around the world. But can you tell me something about 2020 that rocked you and rocked your world? Yeah, Um, I think one of the things we didn't really talk about this past year, uh, we kind of mentioned it, but it happened along with a lot of other things was the death of um, RBG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. because and and I hate to say it, and I know you know there's issues around it, but uh, I I wish I was like this big RBG fan, and I was sad, you know, was grieving her, but I was really grieving the impact of what her death meant and means under kind of this um uh in this Trump era, because um in 2020 there were a lot of kind of big decisions made on the Supreme Court level where RBG was a part of. One of those were was LGBTQ rights when it came um to workplace discrimination um and those kind of things and also even there was a lot of decisions that were made around abortion. Um and so with the new justice coming in um Comey Barrett, Amy Comey Barrett, a lot of people as well as myself worry um uh not just from a standpoint of her religious background, but um, because she's a more conservative judge of what that might mean. Uh, One thing that, you know, even with how the Supreme Court kind of voted on the issues of LGBTQ rights and um, women's rights in terms of uh, body autonomy, they they didn't really differ by one vote, but uh, some some kind of cases that did uh, revolved around immigration rights. Um, For example, there was um, a vote that really influenced DACA. That was only five to four that kind of kept kept and keeps DACA um, as existing. But however, with Amy Comey Barrett, this might change. And so like with me, I am right now kind of fearful when it comes to when I think of LGBTQ rights and women's rights, and also especially uh, with immigrants and and trying to be an ally to um, those kind of populations. Do any of those groups connect with you, Nia? Yes, all of those groups. (laughs) All of those groups. You know, as a physician, but just as a person, you know, like I 
feel like people's civil rights and social liberties should not be stripped from them in any way. And though I don't identify as a member of um, an immigrant group or LGBTQ plus group, um, I certainly don't want anybody's rights taken away. And my patients, people I love, um, kids that I try to advocate for are members of multiple groups. And I worry um, that we may have a regression in some of those things. And I hope that... um, all of the efforts and the fights and the wins that we've had over the last few years don't just dissolve overnight. And I think, you know, there are many people that are will be up in arms and hopefully um, not let that happen. <sighs> I know. Oof, deep breath, you know. Uh, it's, I know a lot of the work that you've done have been um, with people of various populations, especially nationality being one of those and immigrant status being one of those. And I'm, I'm right there with you with, I hope we are stop being in a place of kind of taking away people's rights and really ensuring the health and dignity of, of everyone. I know that there are some worries about our, uh, not just RBG's death, but really Amy Comey Barrett because of her religious background and affiliation um, being strongly Catholic um, and things. And these are criticisms that I think um, politicians may often get um, being influenced by religion. But uh, truthfully, I think we'll really see the impact coming um, in these cases. And so uh, right now, however, there's been some uh, kind of preliminary uh, polls out there that talk about really anxiety and how it relates to um, being under this Trump presidency. And some of those are also related to um, Supreme Court justices in these decisions, because as much as I care about the president, right, the the huge decision makers are also the Supreme Court justices. They really have a lot of power in what will happen next in our country, which is quite scary at times. Absolutely. Yeah. Guess we will see. <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, t- uh, 2021 please, please be, be gentle, but (laughs) better to us, please. (laughs) Yes. But you know, another thing that really stood out for me this year, and I know for probably you as well, and, uh, all of, uh, us society is the black lives matter movement. And yeah, snaps, snaps for the kids, snaps for the girls, snaps, snaps, uh, for me, particularly about the black lives matter movement, what stood out to me was, kind of it going mainstream. Um, you know, uh, the movement began in 2013, started by self-described uh, three Black radical organizers, um, Alicia Garza, Patrice Colors, and Opal Tometi. Um, and it's uh, created a Black-centered political will and movement. Uh, it was a building project that was in response to the acquittal of Trayvon Martin's murderer, George Zimmerman. Um, and this is a movement that has been going on since 2013. Um, it's one that I myself have been a part of in a myriad of ways. Early on, um, I kind of focused on 
kind of intrapsychic, interpersonal, and organizational ways that I could advocate and support and be a part of this movement. And one thing I was really surprised by from my early advocacy was the 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 response to my advocacy it being opposition and and from some places that I didn't really expect like even my own profession uh I was really surprised because we're supposed to be empathetic and value cultural competence um but at the time the field as well as just society wasn't really jumping on board and Black Lives Matter was a very controversial phrase to say. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I remember when the phrase was like a dirty phrase and like you were seen right. as very radical <laughs> to say it. And now that's why I was so surprised that like around June, um, society's reaction to Black Lives Matter following the death of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, of course, Breonna Taylor and countless others, the the support was quite different. Um And, you know, like not just the marching or the white people present surprised me, but it was also the people who are now willing to say Black Lives Matter. The NFL, I know that's one thing you always say, if the NFL says it, how radical is it, (laughs) right? Yeah, Um, my friend friend Ray always says that. And I think that is so, so true. If the NFL says it, it's no longer courageous. (laughs) Yeah. And even Mitt Romney said it. So... Like that, just the idea of it becoming bigger and mainstream um, is, was something that was really interesting to me. Um, in an article, Real Samuels and Craig, they delved into kind of why it went mainstream or how it went mainstream. Mm. And one of the things they say is, um, and I, I just want to shout out that because of how early and soon it is, this is an article just uh them kind of discussing and trying to investigate. It's an investigative article rather than a research article. But some of the things they point out is that these activists have been putting work in for over six years. And um, the work is very organized and strategic. I think oftentimes people forget how intentional and uh, organized activism really is. And those, all those little fights and battles go a long way. Um, so credit due to the organizers out there, shout out to y'all. Um, also they talk about in the article kind of this paradigm shift, um, which is interesting of how police interactions are even viewed. So, uh, like back in 2014, they were viewed these interactions where police would kill black folks were viewed as just isolated incidences. But now people recognize that it's part of a a greater systemic uh, problem of racism. Um, And the support for initial Black Lives Matter protests is now seen as more, has more bipartisan support, which is to me super interesting. Um, And so the article talks about other things like the heightened tensions of the pandemic um, playing a factor, also the election of Donald Trump and people really seeing some vitriol come out through Donald Trump and his supporters as well. Um, so those are other things that it talks about. Um, there are some critiques that are in there, but what what did, what was your feelings and thoughts from kind of what you saw this year when it came to Black Lives Matter, Nee? Wow, so many things about what you just said like struck me. Um, one of those things is uh, Black Lives Matter coming out from um, the acquittal 
uh, from Trayvon Martin's murder. Mm. And, you know, I think that inspired a lot of us. That certainly inspired me to think about racism and think about the impact on Black lives and especially the um, youth, our youth of color. So I just, there, there's so much there that resonates with me, but also like what you said about this um, black radical group is now considered, you know, people are now saying Black Lives Matter and institutions are putting out their institutional statements on racism. Like racism has been here for over 400 years, but today we're deciding to put out, you know, an institutional statement on racism because it's no longer controversial and we'll be left out if we don't do that or if the media doesn't cover it. It's, you know, it's somehow like a faux pas when this has been here for so long. So in some ways, you know, I was really cynical about that and felt um, angry because just like you said, a lot of people have been doing this work way before me, way before us for a really long time. But as as people in this work, I think it can feel frustrating that, you know, people assume that, oh, like you just came to the party. No, we've been working on this for years, for decades, for centuries. Um, it's just now it's our moment. You're, you are finally listening and you are finally hearing us. So I think I was feeling overwhelmed and sometimes cynical with all the like new or renewed or however you want to call it, like kind of um, support or understanding mm -hmm. around Black Lives Matter and just racism in general. But overall, I think I'm feeling hopeful. And overall, I think, wow, it took, you know, all of this, but maybe that means that'll lead to some meaningful change since we've seen it so widespread and not just in the U.S., but all across the globe. Um, in our last podcast, you know, we talked about our dad's near near death experience, feeling like he wasn't able to breathe and mm -hmm. how scary that was. What we didn't share with our listeners was how he compared it with uh, George Floyd mm. um, and how like, wow, how, how scared he must have been. And I can't even imagine our dad was saying that. Yeah. And so I, I think there are many times this year that I felt like I couldn't breathe. And so I'm sure our listeners and Nevin, maybe even you have felt like sometimes during this year, especially with racial in, injustice and inequities, that it's been hard to breathe. Ooh, yes, it definitely. Well, Nia, let me just tell you that cynicism, I'm going to need you to keep that same energy in 2021, girl, because <laughs> even the article talks about, you know, with the mainstream comes performance and is this performative, right? And so one of the things they talk about is, um, and mention that, you know, marching and protests and reposting or posting or hashtagging is great, but without subs substantive change through policy that actually ensures the mattering of black lives, like it doesn't matter. So we can't just stop at this performance. Um, and another thing that comes uh, with criticism, I think with the mainstream part is uh, just as they were uh, people, folks were slow to take on the mantle of saying black lives matter comes with like the policy change that's being requested. There's some um, push and opposition that's not totally for what seems to be the next kind of frontier, which is defunding um, or abolishing police. But that's a conversation for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Have we had a conversation around that? Mm, yeah. <laughs> so for 2020, it was the Bl Black Lives Matter movement for me, sis. Uh, what's, what's another thing that really stood out to you about 2020? 
I mean, that one's really hard to top. I think that has been central. <laughs> that and COVID have been my whole 2020, but I think we would be remiss to not talk about the Biden-Harris election. Mm. Um, I I think I will just start with like how stressed I was and how, um, like, I don't know. I just kind of felt like not only like whether Trump went, won or lost, we had talked about like, I just had no hope for the world. <laughs> mm. And I was stressed around that more than would Biden win. And I know that that was not your experience, nor the experience of many of my friends and people all over the country. There was a lot of stress around, you know, in this election, who's going to come out? What, who Who's the true America here? Like, is it the America that Donald Trump represents? Is it the America that Biden and Harris represent? Namely, you know, trying to be <laughs> at least not racist. I won't know. I can't say yet anti-racist, but at least not racist. And those that are making, you know, busting, busting up glass ceilings, being the first black and South Asian woman to hold the office of vice president, you know, to, to try to put into your cabinet, you know, um, cabinet officers that are more representative of what our population looks like. And so I think that was, that's been huge. I think for many people that at least is ending the year on a more upbeat, that and the COVID-19 vaccine, um, on a more upbeat note. But I think getting there was stressful. You mm. know, that it seemed that election seemed so close, um, at least initially. And, you know, Trump had declared he won like five minutes into the election. He, he still so says he won, girl. Right. He still says the election was stolen from him. And so I think that has, that's been really stressful for a lot of people, but I think ultimately people have felt like goodness has prevailed. This is the real America. But I think for me, like, I want to wait and see what happens. Like I, um, I, because of what we talked about with Black Lives Matter and like the next step with policy change and not it being performative, I really want to see real action and real policies moving, you know, our country forward and not just, you know, a pretty face in office and not just a, um, you know, a cabinet that it looks more like a, a rainbow. I want to make sure that there are things that are actually happening to help, you know, uh, immigrant populations, LGBTQ populations, Black and other populations of color and marginalized populations. Like, I really want to see that happen. Mm-hmm. What What about you with the election? You know, I think you say so many interesting points. I've seen, like, posts that have been, like, uh, someone taking a deep breath and being, ooh, good, Biden got elected, back to the regular white supremacy I was used to, right? So this idea, (laughs) an unhopeful return. But, you know, I I, I resonate with that because as sad as it is, it's like, like what Trump brought out was terrifying for me, I think, on a weekly basis with the racism, homophobia, um, sexism, all that. Uh, And I I even think about, you you know, you talked about um, what uh, Kamala Harris's, you know, uh, mantle of vice president means, but also that came out at sacrifice. Now there's no uh, black women in the Senate, right? Um, And so- And so I just think about, I I think, and I hope, and as we move away from performance, like Joe Biden, he owes black women, Joe Biden and America, 
we owe <laughs> black women everything. <laughs> um, like, shout out to Stacey Abrams. Shout out to just black women everywhere. Shout out to the organizers. Um, and so if that isn't repaid also somehow, um, I, I, you know, I, I wonder and I'm fearful of what, what happens. Like now is the time to really put your money where your mouth is, so to say it. Um, uh, because I feel like there were, you know, promises made. And so we'll see if politicians make good on those promises. But yeah, I definitely, when it, it was, when I found out that Joe Biden would be the next president, um, I definitely was able, able to breathe um, a deeper breath. And honestly, that was enough for me. Like now, I think it was like living under Trump. I was all about survival and, you know, like mm. like Maslow hierarchy of needs. And so I couldn't even think about something else until I was able to take care of the need of survival. And now with Biden, I feel like, okay, I can start to <laughs> move into more self-actualizing type things because now I have the bandwidth and I don't necessarily feel like I'm under attack in America at all times. Um, yeah. I mean, I, in some ways it's really interesting because I, I can't remember if mom said this or I heard this from somewhere else, but like when uh, we lived or I lived, you weren't born yet in Kentucky, in some ways, I think mom talks about like the racism, like at least, you can you know who doesn't like you yeah. right like you know what it is you're up against whereas you know when you move to other places where racism and white supremacy is less in your face it's harder to know who you're fighting and in some ways i see us moving more back to that like with trump and his followers and his supporters it was i'm not saying i ever want to live under that again because like you said it's that constant threat and it's the 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 vitriol is so bad um the thing is though you know exactly who they are right and it and it and it's easier for people to see like this this is some bs and this is who we have not only just him but he represents a large part portion of our population that feel this way versus biden i feel like things are going to be more back like you said to business as usual white supremacy is as usual, which is harder to see, you don't really know essentially who your friends are, right? You don't really know what people stand for. And again, in no way am I saying I want to live under Trump for four more years. I'm just saying I think we need to do the hard work and not get so complacent with um, the status quo as it was before Trump, you know? Word. For sure. Anyway, I know that's a lot. <laughs> you know, 2020 was a jam-packed year, and those were just like a few events, granted huge ones, but uh, events that stuck out to us. Um, so, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. Let's, yeah. it's Well, at the time this is released, it's 2021, so maybe let's talk about some resolutions. Do you have any resolutions that you're making for 2021? <laughs> Last year, I didn't make any resolutions because I was like, oh, I don't follow them anyway. Like, it's such a waste of time. I'm not going to lose 100 pounds or whatever I say. <laughs> um, but this year, I actually do have a resolution. And I think it's, it's a simple one, but it's hard 
for me to actually do, which is I'm, I'm really, really going to put myself first. Mm. And it, it just even saying that out loud is like really hard because I think, you know, being socialized as a woman, as a black woman, as a mother, as a wife, as all those labels and identities that I hold, um, that's, you know, that's not seen as ideal in any of those things where you are a person who puts yourself first. You're always supposed to put, or the, the socialization is you're supposed to put others before you. You're supposed to be the sacrificing woman or person or whatever. And we know that's BS. Like you can't take care of others. You can't be, you know, hold space for others. You can't be there for others if you're not, if you can't even show up for yourself. And so for me, 2021 is going to be all about the self and what that means for me is going to be different things, whether that's health or whether that's, you know, just making sure that I'm doing something nice for myself every day or every week or whatever it is. So it's really going to be a selfish year. And I say that with not hopefully a negative connotation, although people can take it how they want. But I really am trying to be selfish this year. So that's my main one. What yes, about you? I, I love that journey for you. I love that journey <laughs> for you. Um, for me, you know, I haven't sat down and taken a lot of time to think about it. Um, I've started, you know, goals since my birthday. One has been 100 straight days of working out. Glad to see that that's still going. Um, I think my, thank you. I think one of my goals is going to be um, uh, we have a saying by our uncle Frank, your health is your wealth. Um, and I think, you know, I have been pretty frugal with my health, um, only doing, you know, trial memberships and trying it out, um, and things like that. So I think I'm going to like really embody my health, uh, is my wealth and put a financial investment into my mental, physical, spiritual, um, all the all the dimensions of wellness, health, um, and invest um, in myself because I'm worth it, and we all are. And so, yeah, so worth it. I'm surprised by that. I have to say because I always think of you as someone who really, at least, I don't know about diet, but certainly <laughs> about exercise. But it seems like you're a person who really does value spending time on your body and working out and making sure that you're getting you know, that kind of in energy spent in that way. Um, so that surprises me a little bit. Yeah, well, thank you. You know, I think uh, that one, well, one, I think looks can be deceiving. And also, um, you know, I think there's other dimensions of wellness for me to really explore and invest in. And so I think like when you just mentioned nutrition and all those other stuff, um, other dimensions are important for me to invest in. Um, so I'm, I'm, that's my resolution, baby. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, we're going to hold you to it and see how you're doing in the, in, during the year. Perfect. Be my accountability buddy. We will. We all will. <laughs> I love it. Well, was there anything else you were thinking to share with our listeners? You know, because we are entering into this 20, 21 year with, hopefully prosperity and justice and hope and faith and love and all of the good things for everyone. Um, I feel like that when, I think it's a Winnie Houston song where it's like, she sings, I have nothing, nothing, nothing else to give. I, 2020 took it. So I ain't got nothing left. 2020 took it. <laughs> 2020 can have it. And hopefully I'll have more in 2021, baby. 
Amen to that. Amen to that. I love it. So we here at Flesh and Bold wish all of our amazing listeners a wonderful, bountiful, and amazing new year. Yes. Um, to end the year, we'd like to thank, I think, ourselves in valuing Nia's really taking home her resolution, um, putting us first, valuing ourselves and the work that we put in here, but also our editors, um, all the people behind the scenes, our parents as guests, um, and of course, of course, you as the listeners. We hope that everyone has a great, great 2020, 2021 year. Ooh, that's going to get hard to say. Um, and as always, we want to encourage you to stay bold. Stay bold. Bye.